I'm Robin, and we're reading today 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, and that's found on page 1047. This is part of Paul's letter of encouragement to the Thessalonians. Therefore, when we could no longer stand it, we thought it was best it was better to be left alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith so that no one will be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. In fact, when we were with you, we told you in advance that we were going to experience affliction. And as you know, it happened. For this reason, when I could no longer stand it, I also sent him to find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter had tempted you and that our labour might be for nothing. But now Timothy has come back to us from you and brought us good news about your faith and love. He reported that you always have good memories of us and that you long to see us as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we were encouraged about you through your faith. For now we live and if you stand firm in the Lord. How can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experience before our God because of you, as we pray very earnestly, night and day, to see you face to face and to complete what is lacking in your faith? Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. May the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Morning, everybody. Uh, I'm Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at OEC, and uh, we're at... uh, Week number four, as we've been thinking through this passage, uh, and uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we might just jump straight in. Let's bow our heads. Um, Thank you, Lord, that uh, you are a God of relationship, uh, that you know us and that you love us, uh, that you are a God of revelation, that you speak uh, to us and through us. And so we pray, Lord, that you might uh, speak to us today and that we might draw nearer to you in our relationship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, uh, Graciela Urias uh, was flying over a rural part of Argentina uh, one day in 1977 when she looked down and she saw uh, a farm. She knew it was a cattle farm. She could see the cattle around, but she also knew it because out of a a kind of a weird topographical kind of situation, the farm was in the shape of a milk pail. And so she thought, oh, that's kind of cool. It's a cattle farm and there's a cattle kind of shape. I I really like that. So when she got home to her own farm, uh, she said to her husband, Pedro, "Uh, why don't we do something like this? Uh, We're uh, in the flight path for a whole bunch of international flights. Maybe we could uh, plant something or shape something and then people could look at us and they could see something about uh, who we are. Uh, This is the kind of weird idea that people occasionally have uh, and then you do nothing with it. Uh, But unfortunately, a couple of months after that, Graciela died suddenly of a brain aneurysm. And as Pedro and his four kids got together and they said, is there something we can do to remember uh, our wife and and the mother? Uh, They came up with an idea. This is a great idea. 
So they decided that they were going to make the shape of a guitar that could be seen uh, from space and certainly from planes. And so over the next couple of years, they planted 7,000 cypress and eucalyptus trees. Uh, they had to wait for them to come to full flower. Uh, there's 7,000 trees. It's over a kilometre in size. Uh, and it took years and years for Pedro. Not only did he have to plant everything, uh, but then there were a bunch of animals that wanted to eat the young saplings. He had to make sure they grew up in the right direction. He had to make sure that they had enough food. You have to deal with floods and fires and famines and everything in between. Uh, but worst of all for Pedro, when he got to the end of this process that took him, I think, close to 20 years, uh, he had a morbid fear of flying. And so Pedro could never actually go up in a plane and see the work that he had done. So he had to entrust that work to his children who could go up, they could look down and they could affirm to him how this had worked. Now, thankfully, later on in his life, things like Google Maps came along and so he could go and he could see from space what it looked like. But you can imagine how he might have felt as he poured out years and years of effort to see this thing grow as a testimony to his wife knowing that he couldn't really see uh, how it had turned out. And this is the reality for Paul in his care as well. He's poured his time and energy and his love into the fledgling church. He's gone, do you remember, to great lengths. We read in Acts 17 uh, how he uh, worked as a tent maker so that he was never any kind of impediment to them hearing the good news of the gospel. And we're told the outcome of this was that a large number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women, came to a saving faith in Jesus. But then we also know that some local people from the synagogue and some dodgy characters from the marketplace, they whip up a crowd, there's a riot, and then we hear about this guy called Jason. All we know about Jason is his name, that he must have been hosting Paul, and that he's dragged by this riotous group before the city officials and they accuse him of all kinds of stuff and essentially he has to pay a uh, large security bond so that he doesn't get jailed. The result of all of this is that Paul is whisked out of the city in the cover of darkness. He can't stay bodily uh, with the Thessalonians, but his concern for them never wavers. And so we can hear what he says at the end of chapter 2 of this letter. We greatly desired and we made every effort to return to see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. But Paul cares for his people. He's tried to provide the best possible foundation for them. He uh, has said that he's like a brother to them, that he's gotten alongside them, uh, that he's like a nursing mother, that he's fed them good things so they have sound foundations, uh, that he's like a doting father that wants to see his children grow up into maturity. And so out of his concern, as he knows that he can't actually go back and visit with these people, he does the next best thing to going himself, and that is that he sends his dear friend Timothy to go with him. But it's important to note what Paul says when he sends Timothy. And we send Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith. Now, there's a bunch of things going on there when it comes to Timothy's mission. But before we get to that, do you see how Paul wants to legitimize who Timothy is? We know that there were people in the synagogue in Thessalonica who'd questioned the legitimacy of Paul's message. 
Uh, we saw last week that Paul had challenged them. Uh, he was really concerned about this people group because he says this fits into the story of the Old Testament and the Bible uh, and the gospel, that God sends his prophets and God's people ignore those prophets and sometimes kill those prophets, that God sends his only son and that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and some people ignore the very Messiah that they've been waiting for, that they've been longing for. Paul said last week that effectively they were filling up their sins to the limit as they continue to ignore what God is seeking to do amongst them and even stopping the Gentiles from hearing this good news. Uh, If this is the way that they treated Paul, uh, how much more might they treat Timothy that way? After all, as Jill mentioned earlier, uh, Timothy is a young bloke. Uh, We can read in uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 that he is young and therefore there was some concern that people might not recognize his authority. In 1 Timothy 5, we see also that apparently he has a weak tum-tum. And so Paul tells him, well, have a little bit of wine because it's good for your tummy. It'll make you feel better. And this is not a guy who is robust. He's not a guy who is charismatic. Not the kind of person that the Thessalonians who are right at the top of Greece would naturally go, now that is somebody you can really speak with power and authority. And so that's why it's so striking and so thoughtful that Paul doesn't call Timothy uh, our brother and our co-worker. He's, just, he's one of me. But he says that he is our brother and he is God's co-worker. That is, if chapter 2, verse 13 in uh, Thessalonians, uh, we're told that they received the word of God as you heard from us, not as a, a human message, but as it truly is the word of God. If this is how they understood the gospel coming from Paul, and he wants to make it unequivocal that this is the very same reality, reality as Timothy comes as well. He's not an underling that Paul has sent because the Thessalonians aren't important. He's not the second best or the person you get to do to run errands when you're too busy. God is working in and through Timothy just as he worked in and through Paul. He is legitimate. He is real. He's coming as God's co-worker. But this does bring me to my last brief aside. This is my last sermon in the series. We'll see if the other ministers kind of follow on this kind of theme. Uh, but this is just a, a, a hope, a hopefully a helpful aside. Uh, one of the cultural throwbacks that comes from church history uh, is that when it came to God's servants like Paul, uh, when he started his ministry, it's really clear that he sees himself as a servant. He says again and again that he's pouring himself out so that he can care for the churches that he looks after. In fact, the word minister comes from the Latin word for servant. The idea is that somebody in the church is set aside so that they can care for the body of Christ. But over time, the problem has been that this person that comes as a minister, as a servant, starts to look a little bit more like a master. All of a sudden, the person up the front is wearing maybe special robes to set them apart from everybody. And then they become a person who is like a mediator between God and the people and everything comes down through the priest. And all of a sudden, if something is going to be done properly in the church, you've got to ask the pastor to do that. Or even worse, congregations can think, we're here to support the ministers and the ministers are the ones who do the work of the gospel. I remember chatting to an older lady very early in my ministry and she'd just come out of hospital and I said, how was your stay? And she said, it was, it was okay, but I was really disappointed because I didn't get a visit from the church. 
I said, I'm so sorry to hear that. I'd been away on a, on a, a camp for that week. And so I, I caught up with some people in her Bible study and some people at church. And I said, oh, do you know what happened? And they said, oh, what? no, no, actually, three of us went to see her on three separate occasions. Uh, and this was the moment that I realized that for her, uh, she hadn't been visited unless the guy with the funny dog collar, the minister, had gone to visit her. Uh, she missed the reality that we are the body of Christ, that we are God's church, and that when God's people came to care for her, uh, that was the church visiting her. That is God caring for her through his people. Now, I don't think this is as much of a problem here at OEC, but I think there are two things we can learn from this kind of principle with Paul. Uh, firstly, when it comes to how we understand other people and working for God, uh, that we can recognise that God calls us all into ministry for God, that we are all the people who are sharing the gospel uh, with our community in Orange and beyond. Uh, we are all brothers and sisters in this ministry. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, highlights in this year for me as I've uh, joined OEC, but I'll be honest, the greatest highlight for me has been uh, that this year my oldest child has started serving uh, for a term in kids' ministry. No longer is she just a receiver of ministry, but she's actually a giver of ministry. And it encourages me because I see just the amount of time and energy and love that she pours into her job as she makes sure that she, she can do the flannel graph properly and she, uh, they still exist, I didn't know that, uh, that she knows the memory verse so that she can teach the memory verse. Uh, and it's this great reminder to me that she isn't just a, a childminder for Sunday school. She's not just a cheap teenage labourer but that she is now one of God's co-workers working with me and with everybody here to see young people strengthened and encouraged in their Christian faith. If OEC is really going to flourish as a church, it's going to happen because as people have the opportunity, they make the most of where God has put them so that they might be God's co-workers in what they're doing, that we are investing together in seeing the gospel grow in our church and in our community. And so hopefully that also means that not only do we see the legitimacy of other people and what they're doing, but that maybe we see the legitimacy in what we do as well. Paul doesn't send Timothy because he's, uh, he's too important to go, but he's concerned for the growth of the church. And so Timothy needs to understand that he is really God's co-worker, that he is going out to do good things, that he is legitimate as well. Now, Paul's desire for this is so great that he's willing to be left alone in Athens so that the church in Thessalonica can, can flourish. So he sends Timothy, and here is how I love how human and relatable Paul is as a, as a, a pastor as he cares for these people. He wants to strengthen and encourage the Thessalonians in their faith, verse 2, because there are things uh, that he was unsure about. Uh, but one thing that he's absolutely clear about is that they were going to experience uh, afflictions, that they were going to experience uh, persecution. He's told them this is, was going to happen to him. It's definitely going to happen to them. And so he sends his beloved brother Timothy to strengthen them and to let them know that they're going in the right direction if they hold on to the gospel truth. He comes to encourage them uh, that they need to go on no matter, no matter what. Paul is concerned for his friends. He wants them to be encouraged. He wants them to know that part of the Christian experience is that we all will go through times of trial, times of difficulty. 
but equally that we can know that it's going to be okay, that God is bigger than any uh, difficulties, any uh, problems, every every struggle that we have. Because God and Paul love them. He cares for us and them like family. And he wants them and us to know that it's going to be okay. Uh, But now as Timothy returns uh, from Thessalonica, the news is good news. Uh, Paul has this great uh, reason for joy. And as he talks about this reason for joy, we see some of those words that he loves to use throughout all of his books. We've seen his hope that the Thessalonians will have persevered and that he's not going to hear from Timothy that the church has disappeared, that maybe it's even grown. But then in verse 6 we're told this, but now Timothy has come to us from you and he's brought us good news about your faith and your love. Our faith, hope and love are these words that keep on reappearing throughout the New Testament and they're seen as evidence of the lives of the Thessalonians growing as they come to know Jesus better. <clears throat> Excuse me. They've continued to have uh, fond memories of Paul. They're longing uh, to see him and they're, they're really echoing his desire to see them. <clears throat> but then if you want to really understand how deep and how powerful this is for Paul, you have, I think, one of the most beautiful words in, ver- in verse 6 where he says, For now we live if you stand firm in the Lord. Uh, What are the things that add value to your life week by week? Things that you might say you live for in some way. Uh, My wife says that she can tell when she gets up a little later on a Monday morning uh, how my sporting team has done uh, that I got up at 5am to watch uh, just by the way I carry myself, my general demeanour. That seems to be something I value even if I don't think I kind of act that way. I speak to some people who say, Uh, their favourite part of their day is the first cup of coffee that you pour in the morning. Uh, That is something that brings you joy and purpose and energy. Uh, For many parents, we might pour uh, hours and hours into our kids in their education or their sport or their music endeavours because we have this deep sense that if we see them embrace these things and grow, then uh, that that completes us in some way. There are all kinds of things that we value that add value to our time, our lives day by day, give us a deeper sense of purpose. But to say that something represents life itself for you is a different level altogether, isn't it? How depressing would it be if somebody said, do you know what I really live for, which is my great purpose in life? It's a black drink that I drink at 7am in the morning. If coffee is all of your life, that is a depressing thing. It's great to enjoy a sport and other kind of competitive endeavours, but if your whole life ebbs and flows with a bunch of strangers wearing certain coloured uniforms and carrying a piece of pigskin down a field, then that is a depressing thing as well. But for Paul, who says to the Philippians that to live is Christ and to die is gain, we understand he really means it when he says that he truly lives when he knows that the Thessalonians have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, and as they've taken on this good news and they've carried it in their lives, they've carried it despite persecution, and they continue to grow and to see it flourish. Paul understands that this is what real life looks like. And that by comparison, so much of the things that we think are important in our lives are really meaningless. 
to think that if I get that luxury car, if I get to go on a holiday where I need a passport to go on it, that maybe if I finally get to have that house with the room that I don't need to use but I can when I want to, that that is real life. And Paul says, no, this is real life, that you stand firm in the Lord. And Paul knows that he's invested in something that has eternal meaning, deeper understanding, that is truly and deeply and eternally fulfilling for him. By any worldly measure of success, people might have looked at Paul and said that he is an unfulfilled guy. He's an itinerant preacher. He has to work a second job so that he can pay for his primary one. He has a habit of being run out of town. He's been beaten a number of times. And for every group that responds to him positively, there's often a crowd that then runs him out of town as well. Uh, He doesn't have a stellar retirement plan. He doesn't have a a passive income that is going to make life comfortable for him while he sits back. And yet Paul understands that the Thessalonians have moved from death into life, that they've embraced the gospel, that they've persevered in the gospel, and that he truly lives when he sees them embrace the new life that they have in Christ. Uh, He grasps uh, what they have grasped, When Jesus had said back in John 10.10, I have come that they might have life and have it in abundance. That abundance isn't a new car every second year or a, a, a fantastic holiday, but a life that is abundant because they know the author of life and that the author of life who has a purpose for them shapes their lives and gives them meaning and lasting purpose. And So it's no wonder that Paul responds so joyfully. How can we thank you for uh, uh, thank God for you in return for all of the joy we experience because our uh, our God because of you as we pray earnestly night and day to see you face to face and to complete what is lacking in your faith we see Paul's prayer for them that they might enjoy abundance even here and that just as he's been a, a spiritual father to them his con- concern continues for them he wants to see them into Christian maturity and so he's <clears throat> As he says, he wants to complete what is lacking in their faith. He's not saying they're missing something, that they don't yet have assurance of salvation, but he longs to see them continue to grow as Christians, uh, to grow in those areas that they don't yet know. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, Paul's hope is that, like the Ephesians, that the Thessalonians might be people who are rooted and firmly established in love, that they might be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that they might be filled with all of the fullness of God. Paul cares for his people. He's been concerned because even though he prepared them for the persecution they might face, he wasn't able to be there with them. But what a joyful experience to be able to send Timothy as a co-worker of God, to see him treated as one of God's co-workers and to know that as he comes back, it is good news about this church. It's taken half of the book to get to this point. In some ways, this first half is like one big introduction as he shares the good news about how much he's encouraged by them. Then you have this weird moment where right in the middle of the book, he has what looks like a concluding prayer. This prayer that actually kind of wraps up but also points to what he's going to talk about in the second half. 
as he tries to complete what is lacking in their faith by encouraging them to be a holy in the way they go about their lives and to live their lives in light of Christ's return. Look at the wonderful words that he finishes the middle with. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. Amen. As the first half of 1 Thessalonians draws to a close, what a wonderful way to conclude. We don't have the opportunity to meet uh, the Apostle Paul as the Thessalonians will a number of years later. He does get to go back. Paul does get to see how they have grown, how they continue to understand the good news of the gospel and live it out in their lives. Uh, But by God's grace, God has been good to us in that uh, we do have his letter to the Thessalonians, uh, that we can know Paul's deep desires, that we can see how he cares for people, how he has sent his co-worker. And we are reminded that we are part of this same story as we spur one another on. And so there's a sense in which the application to a passage like this is simple. Uh, This is why we have the moments like the forums that we've been running uh, last week and coming up in in just over a week's time. Uh, Because ministry, really meaningful ministry, is not uh, Ed and Tim and the overseers have a plan and we just kind of fire out into everything. Uh, But we as God's church are invested in the gospel, uh, that we want to have our say, that we want to be involved, that we want to feel like this is not just the leader's ministry, but this is our ministry as a church. And so we come along so that we can invest in this thing as well but it's something that we don't play out just at forums, that we get to play out this morning at morning tea as well, where we share how we love each other, where we're willing to show concern for each other beyond just the kind of meaningless chit-chat, but to see how people are travelling in their lives. And as we focus together on life that is meaningful and eternal, a life that changes our perspective and our purpose, and a life that gives new hope to a community who needs it. So I'm going to finish again in the words that we see uh, Paul uh, praying at the end of this passage. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, God and Father, that through your son Jesus, you directed Paul's letter to us. Lord, may your spirit cause us to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone in OEC, in Orange and beyond. And may you make our hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. Amen.